your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Well, I realize we're in a series inside a series inside a series. That's some kind of thing that just happens to me. Sorry about that. Starting about the new year, we're looking at the foundations of new things. We established that basically everybody in this place believes God's doing new things in your life for his kingdom because he loves you and he wants to share that participation with you. It led us to looking at the temptations of Jesus because that's the beginning of his new thing his ministry, and then we ended up, we're focused on kind of looking at the resistance against us, right? And I say every week, we're not going to overly focus. He's hardly worth our attention, only in as much that we can take aim and pull the trigger is about as much as we focus on our enemy. But we do have a very real adversary, and we're moving forward in that. This morning, we're going to focus on We've made it all the way to the second temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness when the Spirit led him out. Now, and let me just say this. I do not believe that our goal is to overcome the adversary. Okay, I don't get that from the Word of God. Our goal is to have all of the inheritance being a citizen and a member of God's household that he wants you to have. That's our goal. A side effect is that we become victors over the adversary. Because we've talked about it's not an equal battle. The enemy is a tool in every sense of the word in God's hand. (laughs) You can appreciate that? (laughs) I'm just going to show you this again. You see, God's design is in the universe. God put his design in you, and there it is. That's Solomon's temple. So here's you. This is a self-portrait. You are body, soul, and spirit. And it's on purpose. It's by design. You are the temple of God. Okay, now you can just leave that picture up for a minute. Just to get us started, I want to talk about something. You understand, you know, there's various ways you could look at yourself. God's design in you. One way that I'm going to say is that you're like a big ball of longing. (laughs) You're almost entirely made up of desires, of longing. At every level. At the body, okay? The body longs for what? Health security, pleasures, and that's good. That's actually holy. Not that it doesn't get poisoned and become unholy, but his plan was that you're supposed to long for life, health, security, pleasure. And then at the soul, we long for significance, purpose, royalty. You're supposed to long for that. That's life too, right? You long for life at every level of your being. And then the spirit, right? What do you long for there? for presence. This is the place where you connect with the I am, the creator of the universe. You long for eternity, for the presence of God, and you know that when you're not connected to eternity, to the I am, that your spirit doesn't have what it longs for. So you're made up of longing almost entirely. Life, life, and life. At every level, you long for life. And he made you for life. Life more abundant. And that's why he came back. Because you'd lost that life abundant, and he wants you to have it. Do you believe that? you believe he loves you like that? Okay. Go with me to Romans chapter 11. Now, we are going to be focused on the second temptation of Jesus this morning, okay? And all the gold that that has for you. But I want to start here, and I want you to see, I've already been telling you that we are seeing a pattern 
The temptations of Jesus are not random. In fact, they are the same temptations and the same attack that come against you. Your body, soul, and spirit. The first temptation is an attack at the level of body. The second is the enemy's attempt to bring shame and attack your identity at the level of soul. And the third is attack against your spirit. And that's it. That's his whole bag of tricks. That's all he can do is attack your identity in those three places. That's it. That's all he's got. So to begin, let's look here. Romans 11, verse 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So where's your riches? In the wisdom and knowledge of God, right? How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, if you've turned in your Bible, stay there. Keep your finger there because we're going to read on. But And this is for somebody, maybe just one person. I think this might just be for one person. The bigger picture is a picture of the universe simulated. The little picture, which if you could see better, if it was a little darker in here, it's a kind of a mirror image and it's a picture inside the brain, the network of the brain cells. Go ahead to the next picture. So there, on the left is how your brain cells are and on the right is the universe. And in fact, scientists are starting to say that as they look at this, Your brain is so complex, which is the seat of your soul, right? Your thinking, your mind. We're going to talk about soul this morning. Is so complex that if you broadened it to the scope of the universe, if you equaled their magnitude, you literally have the same magnitude of the entire universe in the network of cells in your brain. You're so fearfully and wonderfully made that you have an entire universe that is your soul. Is that amazing or what? And you see that God's design is his design. It's exact duplicate. Go to the third picture there, and then we'll move on. So the same thing. The left is how galaxies form and the filaments between them. And did you know that your brain is the same way? That the more powerfully you think on something, neurons are actually formed in exactly the same way energy forms the galaxies. And the more frequently you think on something, you're literally forming electrical paths that weren't there before. Did you know that? That's the complexity of your soul. It's creational, what goes on in your mind at the place of your soul. So, okay, that was for somebody, maybe just one person. Go on with me to verse 34. Maybe it was just for me. (laughs) Verse 34, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? What's that saying? In other words, what could you possibly give to God where he would have to repay you? Like you gave him something that he didn't already have. Is there anything under the sun that could possibly be that way? And yet I hope that made you think, the first part, who's known the mind of the Lord? I hope that makes you think of the scriptures are full of places where it tells you the intention of his heart is that you would have the mind of Christ. He wants to share his mind with you such that you are united, that you're one with his mind, that you have the mind of Christ. goes on, for of him, okay, here's why we're reading this. Now listen to these words. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, You might have noticed the odd thing is I started right at the end of a chapter. But you realize originally there are no chapter breaks. Those are put in for like our convenience so we can find our way around. 
And chapter 12, which is quite famous, if you're not already there, I know you'll recognize where we're at, is usually where we start. And we're very aware of chapter 12, but we don't focus on, it starts with a therefore, chapter 12, and yet we don't focus on the end of 11. So I want to show you something. The same pattern of reality that is in the temptations of Jesus and that wars against you is right there at the end of chapter 11. Now I want to show you this because we're going to see this pattern several times this morning if we go at all according to plan. And it says, for of him. Okay, what is that? Of him. Of him, that's language for provision for that physical level, the level of attack, the level of your existence that's in the first temptation. Of him. All things were created by him and exist in him. It's of him. That's where your provision comes from. When you're secure in that, like we've talked about in the past weeks, when you're secure in that, there is no temptation, there is no trial when it comes to him as provider, when it comes to him as caring for you in a physical world as a physical being where that first temptation came to Jesus. This is leading somewhere, trust me. And then it says, and through him. What is that? That's the level of the soul. You see that all the scriptures, everything that is through him, that is with him, abiding in him, is about you in terms of who you are, what you think, your aspirations, your dreams, the things, the fire that God put in you, the way you think, your belief systems are through him. And then finally, and to him. So do you see there the last temptation? We're not going to focus that on that this week, but I want you to see this pattern. This is the same pattern that you'll find over and over in the Word of God because it defines reality. To him is worship. It's the place of spirit. It's the why. Of him, through him, and then to him is the why. I do this unto who? Why do I do this? It's to him. Do you see that pattern there? Okay, so now that we see that, that it is established on this pattern of reality that is God's design in the universe, in you, in all that he's created. Now we can do the therefore. So look at um, chapter 12, verse 1 with me. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, now listen, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you see the same pattern repeating? This is the physical, okay? This is the first temptation. What are you presenting? Your bodies. So in other words, listen, this pattern is going to lead us into what we're really going to get this morning on that second temptation. But you need to see this. The first is you understand that when you are physically, your physical world, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're physical, the fact that he made you born in the place at the time where you are right now on purpose, deliberately, because you're elect, because he has purposes for you, here now, when that's dedicated, there's no trial or temptation you can bring against that anymore when it's dedicated to him. Do you see that? So there's the physical. And then go to verse 2 with me. And it continues and says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So now what are we talking about? Soul. That's right. Do you see the same pattern repeating again? By the renewing of your mind. What's not being conformed to this world? Not being conformed to this world is the way that this world thinks. The evidence that I'm telling the truth there is right there in the verse because it goes on and says, be transformed 
By what? By the renewing of your mind. Now that's a present active command. Be transformed. You're being commanded to do something. To be transformed in your mind. To not conform to this world's thinking. But what thinking do you conform to? What's the renewal? It's the mind of God, right? You see, the world, and we're going to see this really clearly. This is going somewhere so cool, it's unbelievable. But I want you to see something. The world continually wants to war against your soul by having you think in ways that are contrary to the mind of God, that do not align with the mind of God. And that is the attack of the enemy at the level of the soul. And I'm going to tell you something, the warfare, the real warfare against you, the place of stronghold is the attack at the level of the soul, at the level of the thinking. What you believe, your belief systems, your aspirations are the soul. And then we see the fruit. So as you present your physical body, as you conform your soul, your thinking, your belief systems, your desires to the mind of God, so they're no longer contrary to God, you see it gives you the fruit. That, in other words, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you catch that? It's that sanctification that makes it so that you are one who is actually capable of knowing the will of God, proving it, knowing what it is. Okay, we're going to go somewhere cool in a minute, but we just have to talk about this for a minute. Do you realize that what we just read in Romans chapter 12 is repentance? You see, we do funny things. We've gotten more faith in our ability to be fallen and sinful than we have in Jesus' ability. He is able to make you into what you're becoming. We have more faith in our ability to be sinful and fallen and separated from God than we do in His ability to take us where He's taken us. At least I struggle with that. Anybody else? Sometimes? So here's what we do. We take a very important concept what does align with God's thinking, a concept of repentance. And it's all about, we make it all about sin, right? It's all, and it is sin, but what we do is we make it, it's about our failures, where I messed up, where I did a terrible dark thing. But in Romans, this is talking about just the sin of not being in alignment with truth, alignment with the mind of God. You see, do you realize that there is an incredible difference between weeping and gnashing your teeth and remorse and regret, throwing yourself on the altar. That's one thing, but you know that's not repentance. That's like an inch of the first step going towards repentance, but that's not repentance. That's what moves you to repentance. What's repentance? To turn about, to change your mind. It's actually based on the root words re and pent, right? So re again or return to, and pent is like penthouse, like the highest place. So it's returning to the highest place. That's repenting, changing your mind. That's what we're reading in Romans here. You understand that's something completely other than just having remorse, just recognizing you're a mess. It's just the first step. It's just the first step to changing your mind. You see, what he wants is for us to change our mind in such a deep way, in the place of stronghold, in the place of our thinking, such that what could be a temptation or a trial before becomes laughable. Like, that couldn't possibly tempt me. What used to be such a powerful 
temptation. Or that was a trial before that would have destroyed me, but it wouldn't even be a trial for me anymore on this particular issue because I've made a stronghold for the Spirit. I've changed my mind. I don't believe in a way that that could possibly come against me ever again in this area. And that's what he wants for you. Now think about this with me for a minute. Adam and Eve did not eat the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be separated from God. They didn't do it because they wanted to die. What would be the only reason they would do this? They had a deceiver. They had a false accuser and a slanderer just like you do. The only way that could happen is if the false accuser, if the devil, could deceive them into believing it was actually a good choice to partake in that. Does that make sense? They had to be deceived. It had to be a soul problem that would cause them to partake in that fruit. They had to be convinced that this would be a good course of action. And you remember what the deception was. You know what it is? It's you're going to miss out on something. Did God really tell you that you'd die if you eat this? The truth is you're going to miss out on something if you don't partake of this fruit. It's a test, right? We're going to see that in the second temptation of Jesus. But what really happened there in that temptation? The false accuser, the slanderer, wanted to strike at their identity as ones who are connected with God, who are in relationship with God. He wanted to come against them at the place of convincing them that they should test God on this matter. Isn't that what happened? They knew clearly. He told them clearly. It wasn't like it was a gray situation. Should we eat that fruit or not? They had to be convinced it was a good idea to test God on the matter. Is that right? It's a soul problem. It's a thinking. It's a belief system problem. In fact, isn't that our scientific method? We come up with an idea, a new philosophy that this might be true. So then we step out into this method to test it to find out if it's true. The temptations that come at the level of the soul, at the level of our thinking, are a temptation to test God and see if he's true. Okay, let's read the temptation of Jesus. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5. You remember Jesus was just tempted. The first temptation was to turn the stones into bread, to use his own power selfishly to meet his own physical needs rather than trust the Father that he's a good Father and he has you well in hand in terms of your physical needs. Now you remember, Jesus quotes Scripture. Now I want you to realize that Jesus does not do this as a magical incantation like can happen in some circles of faith. The reason it is powerful, the reason he overcomes that first temptation by quoting Scripture is because he has the truth of it. Do you see that? It's not magic saying the words, but we're going to see here in this second temptation that you know that your enemy, your adversary, knows the word of God. He knows the word of God. Do you also realize that he will wield it as a weapon? In fact, the most horrific things in history have happened from a verse here or a scripture here. The worst, most powerful cults in human history are born from the enemy's use of the word of God. We're going to see that in this. So let's just read this, starting in verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Now, come on, why is he saying that? I know you got this now. It's a strike against identity. He will only ever attack you at the place of your identity, because that's the only place he could ever 
possibly have victory. So he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Do you see the temptation? What's he telling him to do? Jump. It's the same thing as what I was talking about with Adam and Eve. Test him. So Jesus just finished using the word of God, the truth that is in the word of God, to overcome temptation. And the enemy says, you want to play the word of God game? (laughs) So he starts slinging it right back at him. That's what's happening here. And he says, let me tell you what the word of God says. The adversary says to Jesus, and he says, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So he slings God's promise to be protection at his soul level. God's promise that he will take you all the way to the fulfillment of your calling, of who he's designed you and made you to be and for you to accomplish. That's God's promise, right? Is the promise true? It is true. Now, if Jesus had thrown himself off of the pinnacle of the temple, what do you think would have happened? I have a feeling it would have been the end of him. You see, because that's not operating in the will of God. God's promises are yours in as much as you are walking in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew this. So the promise is true. And Jesus said to him, here we're in verse 7, it is written again, You shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. So now look, what was Jesus' response really? When he says, it is written again, what's he really saying? He's saying, you can't just grab a scripture and get me outside of the will of my Father. That's not going to work on me. Because I'm secure that his promises are true. I'm not going to test him. And he says, it's written again. He's saying, it has to be true. It's not just the words. It's truth held in suspension with all of the nature of my Father, all of the words of God. I really believe that God wants us to have a firm handle for at least this week and next week and maybe even three weeks. We're going to dig at the battle at the level of the soul. What's really going on here? Okay, because like I said already, I'm just going to say it again. This is where the war really rages. If you want to put a fine point on where the war is, It's in your thoughts. It's in your soul, your aspirations, your belief systems. Okay, I was talking to Paul this morning. I appreciated his perspective. He was saying, you know, you can't just step out and do whatever you want when you want, but you can think whatever you want when you want. That's the part where the scriptures have direct commands where it says, renew your mind. Philippians 4, 8, something like that. It tells you what to think on. Think on what's holy. Think on what's noble. Think on what's good. Those are direct commands. It's saying, think this way. Okay? It's the battle at the level of soul, at the level of your belief system. Okay, so to get gold on this, we're going to look at Psalm 18, at least the beginning of it. This is David, okay? A man after God's own heart. A man who is not afraid to pour himself out exactly like he is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. That's the Psalms, right? A man that's transparent before God. And so he starts and says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Now, I just want to point out, we're going through the same pattern, just in case you don't catch it. He started at the physical. This is the turn stones into bread. This is the, do you trust the heart of your father level? Just that level. Do you trust the heart of your father? 
that he is your fortress. He's your strong place. The one who decided you would be physical in a physical world, in a world that's dangerous and fallen, and his heart can be trusted in your provision, in your safety in this world. You see that there? That's the physical. Now it's going to shift. Hear the shift. My shield, that's protection. And you're going to see just next that that's at the level of the soul by what comes next, what comes next. And the horn of my salvation. What does that mean? It doesn't just say, and my salvation. That would be true too, of course. But it specifically says the horn of my salvation. You understand a horn in scripture is the symbol of power. In other words, the power of my salvation. So what are we talking about? In other words, your salvation is not just fire insurance, right? There is actually a very real power in the salvation that comes from our Jesus. A power for now. The power of my salvation. You see, that's at the level of the soul. We're talking about your design, your purpose, his plans for you. The way that you think and the things that you are going to accomplish because of who you are in Jesus Christ. The power of my salvation. I see some perplexed looks. Does that make sense? Now here it is. Listen. My stronghold. Now we're not going to dig too deep on that this morning. But as we move forward in the weeks, we're going to be experts. We're going to be spiritual pros in the area of stronghold. The Lord's put it really powerfully on my heart that we're going to understand what strongholds are and how we become rock solid in who God wants you to be for your joy, for your effectiveness, for your freedom, for your health, and for his kingdom. Strongholds. Okay? You see right there, the word of God says, David is saying to God, you are my stronghold. Not you give me strongholds. You are my stronghold. Okay? I'm just going to toss out there, and we're going to see this more clearly as we move forward, but strongholds are patterns of thinking. They are established belief systems that find their way into action because that is what you think. That is what you believe. Okay? That is my mode of thinking or my pattern of thinking in this area. That's a stronghold. And here David says to God, you are my stronghold. You are my pattern of thinking. It's the opposite of having anything that sets itself up as contrary to the mind of God. And then you're going to see the pattern, the same pattern. And now he's going to talk about his spirit. You'll see that in verse three. And he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. You see it? He went from the physical to the soul to the spirit, the to him part. It ends in worship. The why. What do you need a stronghold for? Because it's to him. Because it's to his glory. It ends in worship. And then here it comes. So shall I be saved from my enemies. How? In all three areas. Being sanctified. Being set apart for. Of him, through him, and to him, so shall I be saved from my enemies. So you understand, one of the foundations that I'm really just trying to lay here, that is just so heavy on my heart to make sure we have, as we move forward, we're going to see in the weeks to come, is how important it is to understand that the battle at the level of the soul, the strongholds 
the thinking, the patterns, the beliefs at the level of the soul are the place where the victory is won and lost in your life. Amen? (laughs) Okay, now listen to this. These words of David are poured out so transparently to God that you're going to feel it with him. I believe you're going to feel it with him, and there's just gold here. As he continues to pour himself out to God, he is giving us a glimpse of this reality at the level of the war of the soul. So put your seatbelt on, brace yourself for this in verse 4. Verse 4 says, The pangs of death surround me. Now I'm going to pick this apart as we go, because it's worth it. Pangs literally kind of translates as cords, like binding cords, bondages. Okay, so it says, basically, bondages of death surround him. And listen to this. Floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Now let's unpack that for a minute. It could also be translated torrents or waves of ungodliness. You know what ungodliness literally means? It literally means without profit or worthless. That's it. Not deeply evil just without profit, worthless. So what did that say? Torrents or waves, floods of thinking, of philosophies, of reasonings that are without profit and worthless come at David like waves. Can anybody relate with that? (laughs) Let's watch the news and you'll be seeing waves of worthless philosophies. And what did they do? They made him afraid. They gave him an anxious mind. Now, I want to tell you something. Anytime you feel yourself having an anxious or a fearful mind, I can promise you one thing. You are thinking contrary to the mind of God. Because perfect love casts out fear. So you're not thinking according to the mind of perfect love. Anxiety and fear are products of thinking that are contrary to the mind of God. Goes on verse 5, the sorrows, interestingly enough, that also translates like cords, are bondages. The sorrows of Sheol, now that's one of their words for hell, but I, I couldn't help myself, I just kept digging at the language here, of Sheol. This literally translates as the world of the dead. So in other words, the cords, the bondages, of the world of the dead, surround me, David says. Now he goes on and says, the snares of death confronted me. Snares, this is literally a word that they used for the snares to catch animals. That kind of a snare of death. And that word translates as the state or the place of the dead. So the snares that hold you in the place where the dead are confronted him. Now it gets good. Verse 6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. You understand, literally, in David's time, of course, this, this means he literally walked into the temple and cried out to God. Where's the temple now? You are the temple. Look, we're not even going to put it back up there, but you remember the picture of that temple. The outer wall, the outer cord is the body, but it's not the temple, okay? That part is not the temple. The temple is the inner part, the inner court, and the holy of holies is the literal temple. It's as the cry comes out from there like David is doing. In reality, 
from that place, then he hears, even to his ears, okay, from that temple. Now, just in case you're not fully on board yet that we're talking about one of the most important things you're ever going to hear about in your life, go to Proverbs uh, 23 and verse 6 with me. You see, Jesus got victory over his trial because it was as he thought in his heart. I told you it's not magical incantation that he quoted those words, but it was as he thought in his heart. He had a stronghold of the truth so that the world's philosophies and the world's reasonings had no power to make something that didn't need to be a trial a trial over him. They had no trial to make something that would tempt you to step out of the will of God to step there. It wasn't even a temptation. Why? Because it was as he thought in his heart. So here in, in, the, in verse 6, it says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. Why? For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, now first of all, do you recognize that that is a true statement about you too, right? As you think in your heart, so are you. The philosophy, the thinking that your soul has attached to determines who you are. It says, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The more, Listen to this. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. As you think in your heart, so are you. You understand that is the battle of the soul. That is the way your adversary wants to war against you. He wants nothing more than to bring shame at the place of two identities. Do you know what the two identities? Yours and God's. That's the only thing he can attack. Your identity as a son of God, as the bride of Jesus Christ, as the carrier of the kingdom of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, he can strike at that. And the only other thing really that he can poison or attack in your mind is what he did with Adam and Eve, where he can come and say, did God really say that to you? His, did he tell you that his heart was good towards you? He's holding back on you. He's holding out. You're going to miss out. If you don't buy into a false philosophy of this world, you're really going to miss out on something. That's the only thing he can do. He can strike your identity and God's identity. If you are the son of God, then you should probably test him out. I needed to put a joke in this one this week or something. <laughs> Anybody know a good joke? No, it's been too heavy. We're not going to do that. This is what I'm going to do. If um, would you just stand and pray with me. I'm just going to pray for you. This is our foundation, okay? Next week, we're going to look at Jesus in the narrative of the way he creates strongholds in his life as he trusts his Father and he's filled with the Spirit. We're going to see him walk in his ministry in contrast to the world. And it is so loaded with gold. If you can be here next week, be, be here, okay? Everything that we just talked about we're going to see an action in a way that you're going to be able to apply it. When you walk out of this place, you're going to understand how you can own the truth like Jesus did. And you can carry the kingdom of God, your inheritance, unhindered because you are a man or woman of the truth. Does that sound good? That's next week and I promise to put some jokes or something in there. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you that you are our perfect example of how 
we are the kingdom of God, how we are the heart of the Father to this world. We thank you that you overcame our adversary so that we don't even have to, so that we can just be in your truth and therefore be the victor that you've made us over our adversary. I thank you above all things that you have made us in a way that we that we are going to become everything you've planned for us, that you are able, that you're going to finish the work you started. I pray specifically for each one here that this week would be a week free of the adversary. We bind him right now in the name of Jesus. I ask for peace and for victory and for freedom over every person here. Lord, I ask that this would be a week where the enemy would be stupidly revealing himself, that his ways of darkness would be brought into the light, ways that have been binding people for years or decades or an entire lifetime. I pray that they would be exposed even this week, that it would just be brought into the light, that it would be flooded by your truth, that rather than having torrents of world philosophies, but rather that those waves would be completely drowned by waves of your truth and your light in their lives this week. In the name of Jesus, we love you, Lord, above all things. Amen.